Good morning, friends. Uh, this week I'm recording again from my home studio. Next week, however, I should be preaching at a local church. I'll be sure to let you know where that is, particularly if you live somewhere in the Branson area. <clears throat> Last week, we uh, began taking a look at Joseph asking, when it's all been said and done, then what? Today, we're going to take a second look at Joseph and ask, how big is your God? Generally, when I teach this story as part of Caesar the Scriptures or Divine Drama or Crossways in Prison, I always say I could do this, his life, in one paragraph. And here it is. He was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. When he enters the biblical stage of history, he's <clears throat> but 17 years old. Because his brothers hated him, he was sold as a slave and taken to Egypt. After being falsely accused of rape, he was imprisoned with no hope of getting out. Because he correctly interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he became the prime minister of Egypt, and eventually he welcomed his family to Egypt, which preserved the line of promise that had started with his great-grandpa Abraham. Now that brief summary only hints at the drama that surrounded his life. There's another way to put his life in perspective. If you know four events and four personalities, you know the basic structure of Genesis. Genesis 1-11 to concerns four great events creation, the fall, the flood, and the tower. Everything in those 11 chapters can be related to those four events. Starting with Genesis 12, the story focuses on four great men, Abraham, Isaac, <clears throat> Jacob, and Joseph. Of these four men, Abraham and Joseph received the most space. It may surprise you to know that Joseph's story takes up more space in Genesis than the story of Abraham. That one fact ought to alert us that this is no ordinary man and no ordinary life story. Joseph is the hinge that uh, connects Genesis, the book of the beginnings, with Exodus, the book of redemption. If Exodus tells us how God delivered his people from Egypt, Joseph's story tells us how they got there in the first place. Though Joseph was God's man, he did not have an easy life. Here are some of the things his story teaches us. Trusting God when in the pit of despair. How to deal with sexual temptation. How to redeem a painful past. What to do while you wait. How to seek God's hand in all things. How to make wise plans. How God awakens a guilty conscience. The marks of true repentance. How to live for God in a pagan culture. Overcoming lingering bitterness. How to die well. Besides those lessons, we should take note that Joseph stands as an outstanding type or picture of Jesus. The older commentators especially love to note the points of correspondence. And we don't have to look very far to see the resemblance. I mean, after all, he was loved like his, by his father, hated and betrayed by his brothers, sold for 20 pieces of silver, falsely accused, judged guilty of a crime he did not commit, abandoned and forgotten, promoted after his suffering, and the means of salvation even for those who betrayed him. You see, Joseph of the Old Testament will lead us to Joseph's son in the New Testament. We should not hesitate to make that journey ourselves. Now, as I have been thinking about connections, two thoughts have increasingly occupied my mind. Here's thought number one. Joseph did not know how his story would end. You know, we have a problem that Joseph didn't face. We know how the story ends. No matter how hard we try, it's almost impossible to read it as the amazing, unpredictable adventure that it was. 
When you know the end of the story, you may lose the sense of how unexpected it all was. I mean, how much did Joseph know about his future when he was a teenager tending the flocks with his brothers? Nothing. How much did he know about his future when he was thrown in the pit? Nothing. How much did he know about what was about to happen when he was rising in Potiphar's house? Same answer. How much did he know when Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of rape? Well, he knew only that he was innocent of the charge. How much did he know when he was languishing in an Egyptian prison? Well, he had no clue what was about to happen. How much did he know about God's purposes when he was elevated to prime minister of Egypt? Well, I'm sure even there he couldn't see it all. Let me put it this way. How much do you know for certain about what will happen to you in the coming week? Well, I know you all got your plans, of course, but those could be changed. You might have classes to attend, calls to make, people to see, appointments to keep, you know, like me, sermon to write, plans to make, ideas to discuss, decisions. And right now I'm packing a whole lot of boxes. But all of that is contingent on circumstances far beyond your control. Life is short, it's fragile, it's uncertain. <clears throat> no one knows what tomorrow may bring. We will gain much more from Joseph's story if we read it that, the way he lived it, with no clear idea of the future, with no big picture to guide him, with no happy ending in view. In short, we should read Joseph's life the way we live our own lives, one day at a time. And that leads me to my second thought. God is the hero of this story. On one level, we certainly know this is true. Joseph says as much when he declares to his brothers that God meant it for good. But it's easy to forget that through all the ups and downs of Joseph's life, uh, there was an invisible hand working through every single event to produce the desired result, which Joseph himself could not see until he arrived at the end. If we read Joseph's story and do not come away with a new appreciation for God's providence over all things, then we have certainly missed the point. While there are many important lessons to be gleaned from his life above all else, Joseph's story points us to God. His story proves that behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Yes, friends, we need a big God. When you've been betrayed by your brothers, a small God won't do. When you've been falsely accused of rape, a medium God won't be enough. When you've been forgotten in prison, an average God will not sustain you. You need a big God. You need a God whose ways are vast beyond understanding. You need a God whose purposes span the generations. You need a God who cannot be stopped by the evil deeds of evil men or the evil one. And guess what? We have a God like that. The God of Joseph is our God, too. He's the God of the Bible. Although God had been preparing the way for Joseph long before he was born, it would take quite a while for him to discover his life calling. But when he did, he saved his family and he changed the course of history. Joseph stands before us as a man whose life was filled with turmoil. It started early in life and never really stopped. Through it all, he emerges triumphant by God's grace. You betray him, and he ends up in Egypt. You throw him in prison, and he ends up running the joint. You travel to Egypt, he's the prime minister. You try to trick him, and he turns around and forgives you. Joseph, it seems, always lands on his feet. Here's a man who conquers crisis by supreme confidence in God. Though he came from an extremely dysfunctional family, God turned him into a hero who delivered the family 
that sold him into slavery. He became a key link in the chain of God's plan that would, 2,000 years later, bring the Messiah. And Joseph saved his own family so Jesus would come as the Savior of the world. I mean, what a man. You know, in studying Joseph, we can learn many things. One, we learn about life itself, that this is how it works. This is what we should expect. Life isn't easy for any of us, and for most of us, it could even be quite difficult. To say it another way, anyone looking for an easy life has picked the wrong planet to be born on. Second, we'll learn how this life works for our good. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote, God is seen in small things. Since God himself stands behind the universe he created, we should not be surprised to find his fingerprints everywhere, even in the tiniest details of life. And third, Joseph will learn how Jesus is the power to, we're going to learn how Jesus is the power to make life worthwhile. Now note, I did not say Jesus has the power, which is true, but that he is the power, which is slightly different. Because Jesus himself lives in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is the power that gives meaning and purpose to life. As we're going to see in next Sunday's message, the hero arises out of the turmoil of a dysfunctional family. His brothers don't like him, and there's trouble on the horizon. I mean, Joseph proves that you can come from a crazy, mixed-up family and do amazing things for the Lord. But it won't be easy, and definitely not predictable. So hang on. It's going to be a bumpy ride for Joseph and for us. And stay tuned. There's much, much more to come. As we take our leave of Joseph for the moment, remember this. Joseph's God is our God, too. We need a big God, and we have one. Let that thought give strength to your heart this week. God bless you, friends.